Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Accelerator Insider, where we explore the minds behind accelerators, incubators, and venture studios. We interview innovation leaders to learn how they build businesses for today and the future. And I'm really excited uh, to have another Los Angeles uh, person here on the call today, uh, Alessandro Martoni, um, Director of M Accelerator. Um, So thank you so much, Alessandro, for joining us today. Thank you, Dominique, and thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening and con- joining uh, this morning. Yes, for sure. And so, um, and so, first, just want to start with like something very simple: um, the M. So it's M Accelerator. What does the M stand for? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and um, yeah, but it's very simple. Uh, Several years ago, when I thought about the name of what I was building, I just follow what it was uh, kind of a trend in those years, like uh, when it was 2017, 2018. So larger companies were coming up with their own accelerators and they were just picking their own bigger name, like uh, Disney, they were like D and then accelerator. And I had done the same just because of, I didn't want to waste any time in, uh, you know, finding a, a name and I, I'm really picky with a lot of things. So I said, okay, let's go for an easy choice. So M stands for Mediars, which is my first company here in, in the US. And actually as the same company of a nonprofit organization that I run in Italy, but uh, it's, it stands for Mediars. So the, the full name is Mediars Accelerator. And what does Mediars, because uh, M-E-D-I-A-R-S, Yes. What does uh, that stand for? So, um, Meteors, um, uh, when I built when I built this nonprofit in Italy, it was uh, um, interact. It's a research, It's an experimental center for interactive media uh, performance and uh, um, and the arts, and uh, it's strongly connected to culture and technology and the and the local ecosystem. Um, we decided to do a project, for example. So uh, and then after many, many years, I almost forgot the, all the full extended name, and I just called it Mediars, which is this uh, mix between media and ours uh, from Latin. Do you think that that, does that show up in the current accelerator today? Is that like a red thread or really just more of a, just a connection at the time? Yeah, it's, it's definitely there. It's our approach, essentially. Um, it's our, um, if, I, if, I, if I may, it's our cultural approach. So many years ago, when I started uh, working with the, with the non-profit uh, in Italy, we were um, uh, picking, we were coming up, we came up with this format, very short um, uh, workshops, which today I may call them now with the experience that I have now, I may call the, uh, those, those experiments uh, very short accelerator programs. And they were only for two weeks. And uh, we were calling people from pretty much everywhere. At the beginning, I remember it was, they were primarily st- probably students from UCLA, but then it became pretty much participants from everywhere, from uh, even China, Singapore, um, the, the Korea, South Korea, Europe. And uh, for me, it was an opportunity to spend a few more weeks uh, back home in Italy during my summer, because I was the whole year here. And then I said, let's come up with an Italian project. And, uh, and in those two weeks, we were going in small, mid-sized towns in Italy, 
discovering and learning about the local culture and the local economy. And then the participants of the, the students of these workshops were uh, creating uh, pretty much what I, I would call a creative work. And every year it was a different framework. Um, we did uh, video production, we did interactive installations, we did video projections, mm -hmm. and, um, um, and we did even a project, a larger project with Google, uh, the Coliseum. So very multimedia projects, but everything in two weeks. And mm -hmm. then at the end, the last day, there was even a public presentation. So we were uh, showing the results. And usually the results, when you're building something uh, like an interactive installation, it's something that has to work, something that mm -hmm. required some coding software, right. some electronics. So it was very two weeks, very intense. And, uh, and we were showing a, a new concept of you know, uh, a media work uh, with a lot of technology often. Wow. And so... So the combination between the, the, the uh, definitely an artistic approach, but there's a lot of design, a lot of, uh, let's say, local identity, local culture, and the local economy, uh, mm -hmm. plus technology. And are you seeing that show up in your participants of your program, that they have a similar ethos or belief, or is it really just a widespread of companies who are looking for support? But uh, those programs, uh, which right now I'm not running, the ones in Italy, um, uh, definitely had uh, def definitely had a, um, an audience that was interested in uh, multidisciplinary uh, projects. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be a founder, you have to be a little bit like that. You have to be, and you have to have a lot of empathy. You have mm -hmm. to really understand something that you really deeply care about it, like the problems that these founders are solving. And then, of course, you have to have a lot of other skills and uh, in terms of, for example, building a team around a concept, a problem you want to solve, uh, building, start building a, a solution, right? Mm -hmm. And start communi communicating your idea. And these are just to start the first uh, three elements. And uh, if, typically, if you're interested in, uh, if you are a designer interested in multimedia uh, concepts and projects, it's more likely that you have also a diverse background and uh, you're really aligned with uh, a founder, a founder of an accelerator, I would say. Hmm. And so, are you? So, if you look about your career, because you've done a lot of different things actually, and um, and so, um, and it's it's interesting because you did this. You you know your career is. Build a, a intersection of design and technology, and that probably has always always existed in 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 tech, though we haven't really we honored it so much in the tech industry. Whereas now with AI, you're seeing these big installations at the at the MoMA that are like art and tech, and you is very clear, and you know that. So, can you just talk to me a little bit about you know back then? Uh, how did you go from one to the other? I saw that you were a computer science undergrad, and and then grad and then you went to design so did you always know you were trying to intersect the two or like how did that come about um i i grew up in a very naive and um i don't know uncontrolled is the word that comes out <laughs> way so but fortunately i had a very strong passion on something um i had very strong passion in building technology and my first computer i was 
I don't know, uh, for uh, fourth grade, I built it out of paper just because I was so much in love with the Mac that I've seen, the, one of the first Mac, Macintosh that I've seen in one of the offices um, uh, in the building where I used to live in Rome. And um, I, I'm from a small town called Rieti, but I also spent a few years in Rome. And um, so I had this strong passion and um, and I started, I started learning uh, how to code uh, out of an instruction book with the Commodore 64. So I, have, I believe I have a strong background, technical background because of that. And by the time I went to you know, high school, I knew what I wanted to study. Uh, university is the same. But I always, uh, with a very naive approach, had uh, some you know ideas about building something with these, a lot of design, building something that I was, for example, many in the early, in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, nobody was talking about uh, building a user-friendly uh, UI, user interface, right? Uh, so I, I had that those concepts, and uh, also you know in Italy, growing up in a small town, you really don't have a lot of opportunities to read about uh, the names that are you know later came started to become way more popular internationally. Um, and so yeah, it was it wasn't easy, but um, um, you know if, uh, I was guided by this very pure passion, passion about uh, building technology and. Uh, so my background is pretty technical, um, but uh, somehow when I ended up, uh, by the time I moved here, I already had a lot of projects. I was already um, I was running a software house that then became a web agency in my hometown. And at that time, in the mid '90s, wasn't really difficult to find clients in uh, mid-sized towns in Italy, right? Actually, I was working for the government. I was working for uh, um, insurance companies and um, and other many many companies over there. And um, by the time I came here, I I discovered that here actually technology was not just a, a solution, but also was uh, more like a tool, was more like um, uh, something that could uh, be used to work in, I mean, uh, with culture. There was a lot of culture about tech in California, right? <laughs> Coming from uh, previous decades. So, and, and, and I've seen a lot of uh, interactive art. And then I said, oh, this is interesting here. It's actually a job. It's not just uh, something that you do on your spare time. And uh, and then probably because of my ability of you know, coding and developing and my passion into that, I, I entered the, uh, acad uh, the academic environment, something that in Italy I would never, I never thought about it. But here I was really in entrepreneurial, I would say, way more than Italy, even in the, uh, the academia. At the end of the day, I learned, uh, I applied what I was doing uh, in, in Italy here, which is uh, you go out, you see a problem, uh, you start, um, I don't know, a grant, you, you, you do grant proposals or you start talking to corporations and you write, you pitch your ideas. Eventually, they, you solve their problems, but you also get uh, some funding to run your research. And um, and that's how and that's how I see it. That's why I'm saying it's it's more like entrepreneurial academia here. Mm. Um, and then I took a couple of um, uh, break pauses to work on startup projects. But then I came back, and in total, I was uh, at USC. Like I was a visiting scholar only for six months. But then I did ten years at UCLA uh, mm. in in two in two moments.
Well, and I saw that. So <clears throat> you were a senior researcher for the National Science Foundation. So is when you're referencing like the grants and kind of your own research, was that was that kind of the merger of kind of your interests with something that was kind of burgeoning at the time? I mean, the topic was interesting. It was like future internet program, building automation and cyber physical systems. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and that was, you know, from a decade ago. Um, so I'd love to know, like, first, let's start like, with like, what was that? What was that about? Who is that about? Right. Uh, so that was probably one of the largest projects I was involved in my years at UCLA. Um, and it was uh, it was our director, Jeff Burke, uh, remap inside the School of Theater, Film and Television. That's where I spent the 10 years, uh, which is a joint research center with the School of Engineering, um, again, uh, UCLA. And the the project there, it's actually we got awarded uh, to be one of the four uh, NSF projects uh, to build the future, uh, I would say, internet protocol mm. of the future. Just because the internet protocol nowadays, I'm not going to go into the details, but it's not really optimized for the use that we are doing. Uh, mm. 50 years ago, it was designed to do slightly different things, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to optimize that. And uh, and uh, our lo very large team, I mean, at the end of it, it was uh, a group of including 10 campuses, and we also build uh, test tests or test beds tests yeah. with the European partners. So it was a very large project, and it was about uh, designing and uh, building and deploying uh, a possible alternative to what today is called TCP/IP, for mm -hmm. uh, which is the Internet Protocol. So, and in our in my specific work, I was uh, working on it. it it's 10 years ago, right? <laughs> but in my specific work, I was uh, running a couple of uh, cases, use cases, and um, uh, light, interactive lighting, uh, uh, video streaming, and uh, especially in my field, it was building management system. And mm -hmm. actually, now that I'm mentioning that, I remember that this is my second experience at UCLA. And I came back bringing with me uh, the results of a project, of a startup project that I've done probably between 2008, 2009 and 2011. And then just after that, I came back at UCLA. I, we mm -hmm. built um, a, uh, it, it was called a canary um, indicators. Mm -hmm. So these canary indicators were like communicating uh, energy consumptions uh, in uh, buildings mm -hmm. through colors and lights. So interactive things to be exhibiting into the main hall of the buildings to spread mm -hmm. awareness through visualizations to the visitors of the building or the occupants mm -hmm. of the building. Think about a commercial building or a uh, building with a lot, a lot of offices, right? Yeah. And uh, I have to say that at that time, even though it sounds awkward, it was too early. <laughs> It was too early to start talking about clean tech, energy consumptions, and all of that. We struggled a lot to, to find the right audience. Then we actually uh, we took a shortcut and we sold. Uh, we got commissioned a prototype, and then we sold the, the project. And then mm -hmm. I brought that experience back in the research, which sounds, sounds awkward because usually you do the opposite. But this time, mm -hmm. that's how it worked out. And that's why I ended up working on uh, building management systems, uh, uh, again, in, in the research environment. Well, do you see a lot of the, I mean, the lineage of your work from there kind of showing up in the world today in terms of some of the 
ideas so, for you may have familiar you may remember or you may know you may have it at home nest uh, this was google google bought it for several billions of dollars and they brought it to the market in around 2011 so like mm -hmm. several years after we thought about a similar idea mm -hmm. um, so th this technology it's already around now uh, mm -hmm. it's not the, exactly the same one but yes it, it, we have it in our homes and um, there's uh, more talking about today we are more aware of the energy that our building are consuming for example mm -hmm. uh, because of um, things that we measure, uh, specifically mm -hmm. to the research I was doing at UCLA, uh, not, too, not too long ago, my former director, Jeff, told me that uh, the NDN, which, NDN, which is the mm -hmm. name of name data, um, name data networking project, is actually deployed uh, in one, one, a large corporations here in California uh, as a solution to measure and optimize their um, a clean uh, it's a clean technology mm -hmm. um in, in california so that it's it's uh the level of uh proof of concept i would say uh and even probably a little bit more i'm not i don't know the details of this deploy mm -hmm. but it's definitely if it's a corporation is using it is definitely in the market and um it's 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 a deep it's uh you know in the uh startup ecosystem you will call it a deep tech approach so it takes mm -hmm. really years before the technology is ready uh, to enter yeah. the market but yeah. yes, I mean, it's slowly is, is getting there. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I think folks don't realize that things. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm Just, saying slowly because today, I mean, what we read on the news, it's primarily about software startups, right? We're talking, we're reading about AI, we're reading about no code tools. Yeah. So we're building apps in days, right? It's things yeah. like that. So, and instead, if you're looking at the, and other technologies, uh, there are still some some great solutions that took uh, decades to be right. built. Think about quantum computing. Uh, I mean, mm. it's been like 30, 40 years that we're talking about that. I started, I started computer. I did um, a first uh, software with uh, AI, artificial intelligence. At that time, I was calling it neural networks yep. back in uh, uh, when it was nine. 1999, uh, forecasting the stock market <laughs> with yeah. a specific kind of neural network. So as being like also 50 years, almost 50 years of uh, AI now, but only now, only now is coming to fruition in the magnitude that we all are becoming aware of. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you're spot on. I think it's folks are like the gestation period <laughs> of, of, of building kind of the, the rails of the future is kind of how I think about it, you know, really what those components are. And so um, I think a lot of folks are, you know, building on the layer one and two, right, on top of those core technologies. And then when you get to that consumer layer, you see this huge kind of, you know, yeah. ecosystem that comes up. It's like, oh, yeah, everyone's now doing dinner. Yeah, you're like, well, it's actually been around for a very long time. <laughs> but, but I guess now everyone can <clears throat> participate. And so now, in this specific, and also uh, thanks to OpenAI, right? We, it's a, it's a, it's a debatable, but uh, thanks to them, now pretty much all the uh, world that uses internet today is kind of uh, aware of the, the not aware, but they have a, they have an understanding. They can use the word for sure. Now everybody knows that uh, uh, on the internet that uh, you know generative AI can write, and oh, it seems even smarter than <laughs> than so. Somewhat, well, but 
it's uh, yeah i mean well, you, well even in the climate for a, well i guess so this is a good question for you i think because you've done both and you seem very oriented toward kind of important things for culture and community you know you did a lot of stuff in climate um what do you think is the bigger pressing item do you think it's the ai and the technology singularity the privacy and all that or do you do we or do you think climate is the harder challenge to solve for? Would you know both are pretty challenging problems. Yeah, and, and it's interesting the way we are articulating these questions, right? Because AI per se is not really a problem. It's uh, the way we're right, the way that we are using it. Then uh, I, I believe that uh, governance is going to be the next you know thing that we have to address with AI. Uh, by say by itself, then of course, if we're talking about climate tech and uh, clean tech uh, over there, the words uh, well well defined uh, specific problem, right? I think that AI as a tool could be definitely very useful to work and solve problems, uh, right? For related to climate tech and uh, clean tech, um, it's it's um, scientists are saying that it's kind of late already but uh, I think that we there's no other options I mean we have to really focus and uh, and uh, look at this look at these problems um, in uh, growing up I mean uh, school and uh, I don't know maybe because I'm getting old but I, I go back and I think when I was when I went to my elementary middle school but uh, we always we always had these projects about uh, saving the planet about uh, uh, pollution about um, and we were not, of course, calling it clean tech, but it's um, it's interesting from my point of view now because I'm running the accelerator and I'm in touch with a lot of governments uh, in the, internationally, and of course I talk to a lot of founders. That finally, even um, at the government levels, they are deciding to allocate uh, budgets and uh, to promote initiatives. Actually, I'm accelerator. Uh, I didn't. I didn't want to steer the conversation there, but I'm accelerator. Just got awarded uh, to run the clean tech innovation desk for the Italian government here in the West Coast. So it, it's so strong, right? So that uh, also government are becoming aware and are putting resources down um, to, let's say, facilitate and uh, uh, orchestrate some, um, let's say, general directions for startups and create guidelines and structural approaches so that uh, even startups that needs, they need a lot of help, uh, they have guidelines to, uh, to succeed in their scopes. Well, that, I mean, that's, well, actually, we can talk a little bit, too, about the <clears throat> program, because you actually, the program does many things. You have a couple of different programs. Um, and, you know, maybe the first question here is, how did you come to the decision for the programs that you actually have? Because you have workshops, and then you have a startup accelerator, and you have founder program. So how did you end up with, like, this particular kit of, of solutions for the accelerator? Yeah, um it's um, eight, one step. I did one step at a time, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, actually, uh, at the beginning, a friend of mine told me, oh, Alessandro, you do all of these projects, right? Like we were talking about before. Um, primarily, it's, uh, it was in the entertainment um, event industry, I would say, theme parks, installations, and stuff like that. And uh, these are all some in some in some industry. These are called special projects, and mm -hmm. I, I liked it, the work because I could say, "What are you doing? I'm doing a special project." Right? <laughs> but it's just because it's just a one-off. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I'm doing it twice a year because that's what I, 
but special just because they are not under any any department, right? Because they are multidisciplinary. So you talk to the marketing, you talk to tech, engineering stuff, you talk to the uh, to the uh, also the, the, the whatever what it was uh, HR sometimes it depends on the project. So you work with so many different uh, departments inside a company to build one of those installations, and uh, and at the end I I started doing a course a program to teach others to do these projects. Mm. And I did that for one and a half years. And then mm. I started seeing that we had founders of startups coming in. This was before mm. around 2015, 2016. Mm. And, and then I, I noticed founders coming in and said, I mean, do you have a project you're building? Uh, no, we are a company building this technology. I said, okay, yeah, it, it made sense right away because essentially that's what we were teaching them. We were teaching them how to communicate their mm -hmm. pro problems, how to, how to put together a pitch to mm -hmm. get the funding for the project mm -hmm. and even sometimes even uh, tech advising. Mm -hmm. And then once that basically in, in, in one year time, it became an accelerator. It wasn't anymore a program. So, mm -hmm. and uh, essentially in every step we made uh, the accelerator uh, came because uh, the, let's say uh, the audience we were talking to was requiring some additional elements. So, that's how that's how we built uh, so many programs. I would say now we have um, now we have uh, for example uh, we call it founders cohorts. Mm -hmm. It's a program for companies and founders at the pre-product market fit, which it's mm -hmm. a very large, broad you know bucket. But essentially, as soon as you have a a decent idea of what is that you want to do and uh, you are putting together your pitch deck so you're trying to communicate your concept you're trying to understand who's your customer you're trying to build also an mvp so this is the program that we offer to the founders it's very early stage of course it's a it's a membership on our platform and uh, I like it because it's uh, there's a lot of founders, very diverse in uh, uh, ethnicity, culture, but also in the scope of their projects. And uh, and for us, helping founders at that stage, it's it's kind of uh, uh, not a lot of effort in in the sense that. Uh, uh, for example, we have a very clear structure for uh, the way they should build a pitch deck. And uh, we, have, we have worked with thousands of founders. So after that experience, we work with also many, many investors. So we know how to wear investors ourselves. So we know how to bridge the gap between when an idea comes in, a concept that is not well formed, well shaped. We know what it needs to look like when it's going to be ready. So we, uh, with our we have a coaching approach, which is, you know, our unique, this, uh, uh, our, with this, uh, our unique value proposition, our different, our, we are different from other accelerators and we are helping and guiding founders with, with the clarity that they need. And so that together with them, uh, um, they, we find that, uh, we help them, uh, essentially shape, uh, a more clear business concept, uh, more clear business strategy, marketing strategy, and also the execution part of it. So mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the programs. Then we have other programs for seed and pre-seed stage, which are companies past the product market fit, uh, initial product market fit. So which means that they're already talking to customers, they're acquiring some customers, for example. But it's hard to describe 
describe this program. In fact, I do a webinar, a monthly webinar, because, because then if I say we need customers to do seed and proceed program, then somebody tells me, oh yeah, but we're we've been working on this tech for three years, and so I realized that it's a different startup. It's a deep tech approach. Of course, they don't have customers, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's all we have to articulate it in a different way. But uh, yeah, we also work with growth uh, later stage companies. Um, mm -hmm. Often uh, it's um, because of their go-to-market strategy. They're really mm -hmm. pretty good and pretty successful in their own as a startup in their own mm -hmm. country, for example, or in their own market. And they are ready to make a leap and uh, either come to the U.S. or maybe go somewhere else. And mm -hmm. uh, we help them. Uh, we help them with the growth strategy. Uh, yeah. or with uh, improving their pitch deck. Uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, I would never guess, but founders, they always need help with their pitch decks, even if they are B, D, C, pre-IPO stage. And it's... Yeah. Well, I mean, and there's so much to dig in there because I think, I mean, for the sure on the pitch, because I think what folks don't always realize about the pitch deck is that the pitch deck is, is the process that a founder can use if, if they understand that to clarify their thinking about the business model right and their approach to the business and so much of when you are investing in a company folks think oh, i have the pitch it's like well actually when you get to the later stages you're just having a conversation the deck is like a reference tool it's not really the thing but it's supposed to reflect that you have you know clear clarity of thought right and, and i think founders don't really understand that that's the intention it's like it's a tool yeah. to build clarity um which i think <clears throat> would help um, would help many folks, I think, across really the, the world who are star founder trying to go into other markets, kind of if they understand that fundamentally, yeah. then it changes versus like, what is the pitch deck? What do they want to see? It's like, no, no, what are you trying to tell people? What's your logic model around the business that you're trying to, at this moment of inflection that you're trying to create? Um, so I think that's sort of, and, and so I, with that being said, though, how much of the work that you're doing with founders right now is a lot of like market entry. Like they're trying to get into the U.S. market, but they don't understand the U.S. market and they're wanting to kind of align themselves to that culture. Yeah, that's that's um, so. Yes, since uh, 2020, we are we're definitely online <laughs> because uh, in a way we were forced. Uh, but uh, we also were I was also planning to go online and work with more internationally. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so since 2020, 2020, 2021, we had definitely have more companies of that uh, of the kind. So companies mm -hmm. that are interested in uh, uh, opening or extending, expanding their presence in the U.S. and um, and it the cultural aspect is definitely uh, fundamental. Um, and it's, it's not uh, the, the, everything you said before. It's 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 actually a great fit uh, for this one because um, the, in many countries may have different ways of presenting information, or they are accustomed to certain uh, styles or formalities. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead, let's say that definitely California allows us to be a little bit more casual with the tone with the um right uh, if if i definitely everything is relative right we have to compare the way we act and we do business here 
to the way other people do in other in other countries right i'm not saying that we are not formal we are formal but compared to other countries there are stringent formalities and we are requirements that has to be uh, addressed and those requirements sometimes force you to pitch for one hour it doesn't make any sense right but it's still in many countries they do that and when they come here we have to explain that uh, if you pitch for one hour somebody i mean it's gonna make no sense so there is there is uh, there is a way of uh, delivering information that has fortunately it, uh, we have references, right? So storytelling has been working for how long? 10, 20,000 years, right? Mm -hmm. So we can uh, pick uh, some um, elements from this field and put it into uh, the way we are communicating and, and uh, information, essentially. So here, now, this, this year, but also last year, uh, a demo day, a pitch day, you have uh, companies pitching for three minutes. And we know that there is also the elevator pitch, right? It's uh, less one minute or less. But I would say that three minutes, it's becoming really, uh, really typical. And then we have the five minutes format. And these are very short times for <laughs> short interval of times for for. Yeah. For many of the startups uh, we work with, they're trying to enter the U.S. So we, we so just to just to distill, just to reorganize the narrative from one hour into three minutes. It's it's a decent work. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that's a, that's a serious activity. I mean that's a serious activity. <laughs> yeah, that's incredibly yeah. challenging. I mean it, it, I mean, and. I think for folks like you and, and other folks who do this kind of work, I mean, so I always, you know, what they say, entrepreneurship or business, you know, it's art and science, right? And I think um, we sometimes get caught up in the science, which is important because there's a lot of tools that you can kind of use to say, here's the structure for how to do things. But when you understand the art, right, the art of storytelling, then it becomes much simpler to go, oh, right. If this is the art of, if this is the goal of storytelling, then this is what I want to get across. And then I can then take that and drill it down. But if I think I'm going to shove this into a structure, it's a much harder process, right? You have to kind of do it from the other side. In a sense. Yeah. And, and, but at the end of the day, I mean, everything makes sense. This, this approach really makes sense. If you start, if you start your work by understanding the audience you're talking to, uh, everything else comes uh, very natural, and and it's, so it's a skill that you have to train. And the skill is to be uh, empathetic about somebody, yeah. which means understanding the reactions. Are they following what I'm saying? Are they getting bored? Is it something that interests them? I'm using. Am I using too technical words over here? I'm spending too much time on these diagrams. Uh, things yeah. long to be understood. Uh, so it, it's really about, of course, understanding the values of your business, but also understanding, really deeply understanding who you're talking to. And if, if you are able to be both, uh, to develop both kind of empathies, and, and then that's how you, you're successfully communicating your ideas. There are so many ideas. I mean, so many interesting concepts, interesting solutions, but uh, communicating it, uh, it is it's it's a very difficult uh, task and sometimes i would say that language uh you, you study this i guess language is not the way we are talking it's also many other things so it, it's really about that design process of iter um, the iteration process i mean where you go through and you try to refine your concept your ideas and uh, 
and and then also the way you're talking about it. Uh, it's, it's all interlocked. It's all it's all part of the same mechanism, and that's what I, gets me really excited. Uh, it's not just the business aspect of it. It's actually it's um, uh, it's studying humans. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, so and I have a quick caveat question here just for the program because you did mention a whole bunch of different things. And it's a, so just, <clears throat> it's a platform. So, and you, I know you said so you also work with governments. So is it is it a paid platform? Everyone pays to participate? Or do you have like a spread of stuff where some things are like subscription, some things are one-off, some things are, are free and they're, they're like, or some things are equity, like, because you have a couple of different programs and I know you're also an investor now as well. Yeah, uh, so... Um, yes. So the for 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 example, the program I mentioned before for pre-product market fit. So very very early stage. Uh, the easiest way um, I put it together is a membership. So there is a fee um, that sometimes gets discounted, but it's there's a fee, a monthly fee, and founders um, uh, join our platform uh, paying the monthly fee, but. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't offer it in this way unless I was really sure that the value we're offering is much more than the fee we're asking. So when they join the platform, it means that they have access to all of our material. Material that is recorded. So it's mm -hmm. more than. I don't. I didn't count it anymore, but it's definitely more than 100 hours of sessions recorded mm -hmm. with mentors, investors, and more. Uh, they have access to our programs. There are uh, recorded and live. There are. Uh, teaching and coaching about uh, how to put together the pitch deck, mm -hmm. how to build an investor funnel, how to talk to investors, um, the different stages of an interview, uh, how to build your value. So everything that a founder will need to know if uh, they're building a deck, which is basically your business model. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's, uh, that's something that's, uh, and then we have even uh, $1 million perks uh, out of our uh, partners, um, CRMs and, you know, cloud computing and all of that for the founders. Um, and then we do have uh, other accelerator programs that are more like um, intense. So for example, mm -hmm. our seed proceed is 60 hours of coaching in eight weeks. Which mm -hmm. means it's about, I don't remember, six, uh, six, eight hours a week of coaching, which is right. a lot of hours, right? So mm -hmm. we can only work with the certain founders that are, mm -hmm. that have the time, that understand what is that we want to work on with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and often uh, they have to have, they have to understand that um, this is, uh, this is a process, this is a de development process. If they aren't, if they don't see, them let's say they visualized what is the next stage for their mm -hmm. startup it's also about what is their next stage almost mm -hmm. personally right so if they don't see this one as a sort of a learning experience it's it's hard to work with them mm -hmm. right so if somebody comes and already know everything we, yeah. they don't need us right <laughs> but it's not about knowledge right that's why the coaching um, and then that one, that these programs, uh, see them precede uh, and growth stage uh, could be uh, could be out of a fee, very simple fee, or it could be equity. So we, we are open to negotiate that with the founders. And then we do a lots of uh, to be sustainable. We do a lots of uh, programs with governments, um, mm -hmm. equity fund. So essentially, for the for the investors, we do um, an accelerator program that it's it's de-risking the investment which is essentially helping the startups in improving 
their uh, their value proposition, uh, making sure that everything is like it's a sort of a due diligence, but mm -hmm. for like an accelerator program and it helps mm -hmm. the investors to decide who to invest in. Mm -hmm. And these are paid by the VCs, right? Yeah. These programs are paid by the VCs. And then we have the programs paid by the governments or other public offices that are, uh, I mean, government offices, that they are uh, typical accelerator programs, uh, but our programs, right? Our approach. Yeah. So it's typically between uh, six weeks and 12 weeks, depends on the requirements. And uh, we essentially do pretty much the same things. So the, then we have to customize it based on, is it a go-to-market? Is it a soft, la soft landing in the US? Is it a go-to-market? Is it a pre-seed? We have a lot of seed and pre-seed uh, with the government. And actually, we have also a lot of, um, uh, let's say, companies that are doing scale up, which their first step is to work on their DAX, which gives mm -hmm. us, you were mentioning that before, gives us the opportunity to work in their business models, essentially, yeah. just by, you know, starting yeah, with the excuse of how did you communicate? How did you talk about your business? And then we get into the, the business. Right. Then you're like, what's your problem? What's your solution? What do you, what do you actually talk about? Yeah. And then and that's kind of the entry into it. And so, and so, okay. So that's really super helpful. So you kind of run the spectrum in terms of like supporting the, what I always say, supporting the founder journey, which is a lot of the work that I focus on is how do you start from soup to nuts to support them? And, and the ecosystem that's really supporting them as well. And so when it comes to the government programs that you're running, mm -hmm. um, we'd love to understand, you know, what are they looking for? And there's a, you know, there's a, a lot of what I'm seeing is U.S. deployed programs that other countries are engaging with to help mm -hmm. facilitate and stimulate their innovation economy. Um, what are you seeing in terms of that market? Because, I mean, even in the U.S., the government probably is like the number one funder of innovation. We kind of forget that. But there's so much other money here. We kind of don't think about it as much. In other countries, it's really the government that's funding yeah. innovation. Um, you want to just talk me through a little bit about your experience working with governments and kind of what are they looking at? How are they selecting and what are they working on in terms of innovation? Um, it's very, my experience is really diverse. I, I work with governments that uh, just because of mandate, they know they have to spend in innovation, but the managers uh, are a bit behind. And so if, they, if we're able to build a relationship based on trust, then they follow our lead. Right. And the other governments, they have more experience and they um, they're really investing billions of dollars uh, in innovation. They understood that startups are going to be a great resource for their economy uh, to diversify their economy. Uh, think about uh, there are many governments, there are um, the economy, of course, is mainly driven by large corporations, but they also have to look at the uh, longer terms, right? So they have to diversify their economy and, and investing into small businesses that are driving more innovations. And there are many ways of seeing this one, but that's this is what is happening today. I mean, startups are really driving the innovation. And, uh, and so these governments are looking for um, opportunities, different things, I would say. So one is to support their uh, growth stage uh, startups in expanding because nowadays, unfortunately, many times uh, the uh, a local ecosystem of a country is not big enough to support uh, a company that is growing, right? So a company needs a larger market, uh, mm -hmm. simply put. 
I'm thinking about also many startups in Italy that are expanding in Europe or worldwide, right? So those situations, uh, we we help uh, the startups into the growth phase. So they're looking for this kind of value, added value. And then, of course, uh, the the network is always an easy uh, value um, Mm -hmm. to uh, provide uh, integrated in these programs. But I would say also, I'm, I'm saying it's easy because it's not the, it's actually the easiest piece of, for example, M Accelerator. Uh, the the actual the intrinsic work, so the coaching and understanding the businesses and supporting the founders is it's the it's the real job that uh, most times is, is not understood <laughs> by the, the whoever is committing the job, right? But this is um, so. There are other. There are also economies that are uh, they're looking at uh, what is happening in California. Of course, uh, Silicon Valley is, is, is huge, has a great re- resonance around the world. So they're, they're looking at the, the way uh, we do business here and they're trying to import in some way, some form, uh, the, same, uh, the same parameters, the same um, mindset, the same modalities. And definitely the, the experience that, that uh, we have here in California, in Northern California, it's great in terms of business. Uh, it's greater in sense of in the sense of there's more maturity. The market is way more mature. Uh, everybody here is 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 running. I mean, uh, I've seen this one in Los Angeles happen. Right, everybody is running a startup. Right, <laughs> looks like uh, like 20 years ago, everybody was writing a script. Uh, today, everybody is putting together a pitch. So mm-hmm. and and you know the gov- governments are looking at this and they also wanna 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 have their startup ecosystem improving um, mm-hmm. by uh, assimilating or by uh, absorbing some of the experience that uh, this this country has essentially. Are are you seeing in other countries a lot of kind of foundational? And I'm going to use this term in, in the inappropriate structure here, but in like a first principle way in terms of like, this is core and foundational to what the country might need. I, I think a lot about the US and we have consumer tech, we have a lot of widgets and consumption stuff that is uh, highly profitable, but not that maybe uniquely intrinsically valuable. And then we have things that are happening in health tech or biotech or fintech or um, climate tech. And and some of them have real material um impacts um, positively in the world. And some are just also really cool. We have the Ubers, right? And so when a government's thinking about how do I bolster this ecosystem, what are they really talking about? Are they just like, we just want more activity so that we become an innovation hub, which draws more interest and young people to the city and just like builds better economy? Are we thinking we actually have some real problems we want to solve? Like, what is the conversation really about? When... um... It's 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 a little bit about everything you mentioned. There are some governments that they are aware of um, the, the, the um, let's say the ecosystem is not growing, or um, certain uh, the age the age, average age is declining. So they have policies where and they are deploying initiatives where they are importing startups from the US or from other places right so it's vice versa it's a different it's a different <laughs> journey and um another other most i would say that uh, the the relationships that we have like i mentioned before they are becoming aware of uh, different needs and so they are allocating resources to like i mentioned clean tech of course 
everybody's talking about AI, so they want to also locate resources towards AI, but so AI, but to, to solve what problem, which problem, right? So everybody's kind of aware, you know, hoping that this AI is going to be the holistic thing that is going to solve everything. But at, at the end of the day, we want to be a little bit more specific, right? And there are some governments that are looking into healthcare, cybersecurity, uh, but I don't see clear mandates in specific sectors. I, I see that uh, um, there is a, depending on the geography and depending on the specific problem, they may lean towards uh, a, a more like a vertical, like agri-tech here from certain countries in, in Africa uh, or uh, yeah, like healthcare in other countries. So the, the, there, there's a little bit of everything. I think that running, a, I mean, uh, investing a, in innovation in a government, uh, it, it's really a, a huge um job and uh, there are so many verticals and sectors that needs to be supported right and i mean and so you more recently and maybe i'm speaking here because maybe you were an angel investor as well but i know you guys added an investment fund um to an accelerator yeah. and so how has that come about and what do you guys invest in so it, it's uh you said the recent and um i and i needed to think about it because to me it sounds like all this history, but it was only 2021, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so in 2021, uh, with Noble Dracon, we decided to open an, a, a fund associated to an accelerator. It was it was my first fund, so uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of learning, and we raised a small capital, a small amount of money, and we invested into two of our uh, best teams in the accelerator, and uh, and that was it. Uh, in 2022, it was already done. The investment was deployed, and, and now we're working with these companies. Um, we're work now I'm working on another uh, two initiatives. Uh, it's, it's very early, so it's not worth to talk about it, but uh, it's, uh, it is it's going to be my second experience. So I hope that with this experience gained, now uh, I, I would do a, a better job or a, definitely a larger, um, um, let's say, fund. Um, to, to distribute what, among the companies, yeah. What has um, kind of, has anything surprised you yeah. as you put the investor hat on versus the founder hat, like in how you assess or think about companies or like what has changed for you now that you're an investor? Um, so the fir first time I started dealing with investors, I actually realized that they were people. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that the founders sometimes forget about it when they are starting uh, this journey. They, yeah. they forget, okay, but these are people, you're going to deal with other people, right? <laughs> Slightly different than uh, the typical founders, but they're still people. And um, um, I, uh, it's, it's uh, again, I wasn't, uh, I was not extremely uh, surprised. I, I also like to explain things very clearly. I mean, uh, if somebody is an investor full time or is, in, is investing seriously in uh, innovation in startups, it's a way to have returns. It's a it's a business. It's a job, right? So in many cultures, just because I'm exposed to uh, many internationals, uh, still they're still struggling with understanding what investing means, and often it's confused with uh, a little bit of donation, which is not a favor. It's actually a deal that is going to be pro profitable also for the investors. So 
uh, many founders don't have this clear. And even if they are clear, it, and even if they are able to express it with words, sometimes in their act or in their pitching or the way they are pitching and the way they are asking for the investment, you notice that there's something that is it's not really clear there. And um, so it's uh, especially if you don't come from money or from VC, the VC world, if you come from being a founder, building a company, uh, dealing with investors has always a lot of stress. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, once someone knows your investor, it's like they go into automatic pitch mode and you're like, that's not even how that works. <laughs> and and actually, very rarely, right? And then, yeah, it, it, yeah. At the end, we are, like I said, I didn't say they're humans uh, by case, because at the end, among humans, we like to build relationships based mm -hmm. on trust. So that's what we should look for, right? As a founder or investors, we like we like to invest in founders that we can trust, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that, that's the foundation. Great. What do you think? So maybe as we close out these last one or two questions here. Kind of just putting on your designer hat um you know what do you think folks just are missing in this moment regarding the interconnection between tech and design you know where are they kind of getting it wrong or they're missing the point um i can answer this one let's see if this one is not clear but i'm gonna say it anyway typically our best founders are designers what I mean by saying that, I mean that by default, somehow, because their past work, oh, experience, not necessarily work, they embraced the approach, the, the iteration approach. So the, the approach that things are going to be done by iterating on it. So they're building something. It doesn't have to be completely done. It's partially done. Let's see if it works. Let's see how, how somebody reacts. I'm not saying putting in the market, but just do like a pilot to invite some friends, use wherever you built and get some feedback and then go back and improve it. Right. And listen to the to the to the to your audience, essentially. So th this is something um, there is still unknown <laughs> to the most, I would say. And uh, the, there's still founders tend to still be in their garage, garage, hid uh, away from the audience. And that doesn't help uh, because you're, you, you don't know who you're, you're solving the problem for, essentially. Yeah. So many, this many. problem, this connection, right? These uh, founders, audience problems, it's, uh, it's, it's really important. It, and, it's, and it's persistent. So many years ago, I was in a tech stars company um, called Lean Startup Machine. This is kind of when Startup Weekend was a thing and Lean Startup Machine was a thing. And Eric Reese was on the board. He wrote the book, Lean Startup. And I read it and I was working at a job and I was like, oh, I can use this to help. I was working at Teach for America. I could help teachers learn how to teach faster using iteration. From that, joined Lean Startup Machine, became a curriculum instructor. I actually did a couple of um, Lean Startup Machines in Milan um, oh. and, um, and then became like a Lean Startup expert, which teaching and training on it. And today I still do, I work with a bunch of different accelerators and I do MIT, I-Core and all the different things. And, and, you know, it's funny, I think like I started this about a decade ago. And so I'm like, okay, like it's a decade ago, like no one cares about customer discovery anymore. <laughs> and then I'm like, nah, you're right. And I'm in all these rooms. I'm, 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 I'm working with all these accelerators. I'm, you know, doing a couple of ones in, in, in Techstars and the ones in LA here and um, a couple others. And it's still the conversation. Mm. The conversation is still like, Who's your customer? And I think the challenge with it is, is that they they really don't use a scientific method when talking to customers, right? They they just kind of say, I talked to 10 people 
or I talk to a hundred people and I'm like, but yeah. if you don't have the answer to the question you're trying to solve for, then you, it wasn't really a meaningful conversation and walking people through kind of what I consider to be like contextual, like get your, get your, get the frame of what you're dealing with. Like, but even like problem validation, solution validation, design validation is a pilot. Um, there's really like a science to customer discovery um, that people just really miss, right? That, that, that is not just like, I, I talked to 10 people, so now I'm done, check it off the list. It's really how you build things today and be relevant to your customer in perpetuity. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, um, it's, it's a science in the sense that it's a, a path to discover the truth. Uh, and, uh, but what, what is more difficult, I believe, is the process. It's a really an engineeristic process. So it, there's a method, there's a process, and you have to be uh, very rigid and, you know, uh, with a certain uh, <laughs> righteousness on being really structured on the process. Because if you miss that, um, you, you're losing data. Data doesn't make any sense. It's, it's extremely difficult to get to, for example, product market fit just by running tests, unless you have a very solid um, structured approach. Yeah. Well, I think that's what people kind of miss, which I think is why the educational programs. I think there's a lot of yeah. like mixed conversation about like what should be free and paid, but structure. There's a there's really a value to structured learning, which I think a lot of the paid programs. Um, for startups uh, include, because you really do need to identify your assumptions, manage against your biases, look at the data from the responses, see which ones align with yeah. you, see which ones actually don't that you just like because you like them and you know all that different stuff to work through to, okay, that's, that's a moment of clarity. I can kind of hang my hat on that to make the next best decision that I'm going to make and then iterate again. And it's, it's, it's rigorous. And yes, rigorous was the word that I was searching for, actually, <laughs> and yeah. and uh, it's not and it's not uh, and um, something I say, I think that we should add is that it's not something that you can read on a book, unfortunately, because otherwise we would have re read that book, everyone, right? Uh, building a business would have been much easier, but it, it's really measuring those improvements and getting the right feedback and the right level of clarity because each one of us is working in a different way. And this is actually the main motivation behind the coaching approach instead of just uh, doing lessons. Yeah. Uh, I really believe that uh, coaching helps. Uh, it's First of all, it's it's more engaging. It's something that I like more than just teaching. Yeah. And uh, it's it's uh, the the best of the interactivity between in, in the within the cohort. Right. It creates really a good interactive environment. But uh, coaching is really uh, helping our founders into uh, uh, deconstructing whatever is they're working on, understanding all the elements, clarifying all of these elements. And then you're giving them the map, you're giving back that map of clarity yeah. because it's going to be their choice, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, there's no right or wrong choice. If, if everything is clear, there is often a few choices. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing, right? It's like taking all the noise and sometimes I think, you know, and having, being a founder myself and having built things in the past and you get caught up in the startup swirl and it's like, it's, it's, you know, fail fast. It's, it's, just, it's kind of like this run to a brick wall kind of thing and ship early. And, um, and not everyone can really do that from an expense perspective, but it's also not always the, the, I think the strong, the best founders really understand the dynamic. Like they know signal versus noise ratio. They understand like, when is it time to push? When's time to chill and being strategic, even if they're going to run is like an important part of that puzzle. And so I often, connect with founders where I'm like, if you're so urgent right now, this is already not the right time because you, you, you've lost the sensibility of making good judgment and good decisions. Cause you're in, you're in fight or flight. <laughs> you're like, you're running yeah. so hard that you kind of can't take the minute. And so I think 
that's some of the challenges with the ecosystem is that when you build an ecosystem, you start to build all these new players who participate with varying degrees. So the, you democratize access, but you also flood it with noise, right? And so it's, it's like a new problem that shows up uh, by having kind of all the activity, which is net good, but just a, kind of a different a different list of hurdles to jump through, maybe. You're actually right. Actually, Scott Hindle, which is our lead business program, often says uh, we should be calling it decelerator. <laughs> really? It's like, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. It's like, chill out. And I think that's, and, 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 you know, there's just, yeah, I think people are looking for ways to create, right? And I always tell people, like, doesn't matter what you build, you know, you, you think something with your thought, and you do something with your hands, we're all creators, right? Whatever you create. And I think part of that is when you realize that some of the urgency goes away because it's like, oh, right. I always have this, uh, this muscle, this ability to create something new, to create something when I need to create it, to create what I want to create. And so I don't have to run so hard at this one thing and hold it like this. I can be looser with it, right? And I can yeah. still, and I can get to the same place. Um, uh, so with that being said, I want to just kind of close out with a final question. You had an art article in a, a little while ago, but it was in Shout Out LA. And you said, to bring M Accelerator at this stage took a lot of work, many iterations, and a lot of learning. But as I have said before, we are at the beginning. So if this is the beginning, what's what's next? So actually, it's strange, but I still feel we are at the beginning. I don't know if because, because we are still at the same point. No, we are not. But uh, I don't know. It's a strange feeling. We're always at the beginning. But uh, yeah, in the, the, for the next, uh, I would say, year, we are looking at an expansion in Europe, eventually opening our first office. And we were already planning that before COVID, then everything stopped. And uh, now we're uh, going back on, uh, let's say, the plan of opening uh, the first office uh, in Europe. So that's going to be one of the two elements. The second element, it will be to open a serious VC fund that is going to, uh, uh, let's say, work in conjunction with an accelerator. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What? That's wonderful. So, yeah, so we'll keep an eye out for when you launch in Europe. It'll be really exciting. Um, and, and if anyone uh, watching this at any point on the podcast or on YouTube or whatnot, send any questions over. I'm happy to send them over to Alessandro as well. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and any closing words before we jump off? Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully uh, you find it useful. Um, I'm, I'm always really transparent. Uh, I'm open, always open to talk about all aspects of our business. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be really transparent also when we work with founders about their businesses. So uh, like uh, Dominique said, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm always uh, excited to work with founders or with creative people and they're, it's, it's always inspiring for me as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you everyone for watching Accelerator Insider and until next time. Bye, Bye everyone. Thank you.